You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the It's Always Draft Season podcast, part of the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Shavink here with you guys on this fine Sunday evening, Monday, of course, by the time you are hearing this. But we've we've almost gone through six weeks of NFL football, and that's really exciting. But obviously, that that puts us uh, inching inching closer to draft season for everybody, which is always very exciting. And so today on this show, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, We're going to go through the top 10 of the current draft order as it stands. We're going to go through kind of the Packers side of things. We'll delve deep a little bit more into them. We'll obviously cover them in the top 10 because they are currently there, but we'll cover them a little bit more. And then we've got studs of the week in college football. There is a player that must be in your first round mocks going forward if he isn't i don't know if they're going to be you know just put it this way if he is by february or march you'll look potentially like the smart one for having him there all this time so i'll just leave it at that as we get uh, to the studs of the week a little bit later but for now want to talk about the top 10 of the current draft order it is mid-october it's a good time to take a look at this. And right now, a few things changed from last week. Uh, obviously, Minnesota was in the top five entering this week. They get the win over Chicago. They move out of there. It is still Chicago holding the top two picks in the 2024 NFL draft as it stands right now. Thanks to Carolina, who is 0-6. That will be Chicago's first pick and then Chicago's own pick at 2 followed by the Denver Broncos at three, Arizona Cardinals at four, the New York Giants at five, the New England Patriots at six. Then we have Minnesota at the seven spot. The Tennessee Titans currently hold pick eight. The Green Bay Packers, of course, holding pick nine at the moment. And then the New Orleans Saints at 10. So first impressions as we kind of go down the board and and go down the order 
is Chicago's going to have a decision to make clearly. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because you saw, you know, fields find a little bit against the Denver Broncos through about three quarters collapsed a little bit at the end, right? A fumble and then a pick, which the pick it's, it's hard to put that all on fields. Who's probably expecting commit to run commit decides to sit down. How is a quarterback? Do you react to that quick enough? I don't know. Uh, I'm not playing the position, right? That's a difficult, difficult ask. Then he plays well against the Washington Commanders, right? He plays well. That was a good game from him. Now, I think both teams defensively are outside the top half in DVOA, success rate and EPA per play, right? The Broncos are way down the board. I don't know if they moved up from 32nd this week after kind of holding the Chiefs to 19 points, but they've been bad. So it's hard to judge that because then Fields comes out today, right? He obviously gets injured, which is a whole other issue right? We don't know the timetable on that. The right thumb couldn't grip the football, dislocated, had to pop it back in. We don't know the extents, how extensive the damage is to that thumb. No idea how long he'll be out, but he kind of came back to earth in this one. And Minnesota's pressure from Brian Flores as the D coordinator was kind of, you know, it it got him very much off his game uh, the synchronicity in the offense was not there. The rhythm was not there like it was against Washington and Denver, right? DJ Moore didn't quite get going. It, it was a very dysfunctional offense. So we're teetering on right now. One of two things for Chicago, right? They're either going to be able to say in 12 weeks, right? They're not making the playoffs 12 weeks. We have our quarterback. We own this draft board right now. Come talk to us obviously for picks maybe one and two uh i would if i were them i wouldn't move out of two and we'll talk about that but i would they would be putting feelers out around the league like denver at three you guys interested in a qb giants at five i don't know daniel jones i think it's a two-year deal mostly with with that big contract that he signed so not out of the question for the giants to do that will they that's another question I, i feel like there's a chance that Shane and Dable go stick with the Daniel Jones road and they try to do something where they'll they'll attack the top of the draft and its strengths. But you could definitely call New England at six. Maybe you're calling Minnesota at seven. Doesn't feel like you're calling Green Bay at nine. Don't know if I'd want to give Chicago a bunch to move up to one, uh, even if it is for Caleb. Well, I, it's, it's, it's a tough decision. Green Bay is going to have tough decisions. Uh, if, if they, especially if things don't turn around quickly, but there are going to be a lot of teams, right? Even, even if you want to like look further down the board, right? Atlanta at 11, there are going to be conversations there as well. Right. And, and again, if Chicago is, is comfortable with their guy, right? There's one guy that's off the market, right? Arizona's at four. If they commit to Kyler Murray, right? Like Arizona at one and five is a strangely competitive one and five. In my opinion, it, it feels like you know, there are some games where the last two games, obviously, they've been outscored. What, like, off the top of my head, it's like 61 to 25. But it felt like they were in the San Francisco game for a while. They had kind of control of the Rams, even going into halftime of today. So it felt like, it feels like Arizona's got some pieces. And they do have two top 12 picks at the moment. Don't know which direction they're going to lean, right? Like, they could obviously cut bait with Murray. I don't know who's going to be offering. 
that's a whole other see and this is the the offseason of qb movement right we're going to see a lot of that so that's the one option right chicago controls the draft board they again will potentially be seeing multiple picks in the top you know two rounds coming their way for that number one pick if they feel confident in fields if they don't right and and who knows could be a new coach right like they i mean it, it they they the win against the commanders for chicago it felt like oh wow see like look how you know we've we're, we're playing looser we, we've kind of turned a corner you are still one and five i don't think you've turned a corner i get that the schedule isn't like super difficult here but we're one in five, and you're not. I don't think Arizona's one in five. You aren't, okay? Well, you might be Giants in New England one in five. That's well, we're getting there. You might be Denver one in five as well. But like, it just feels like a lot's missing. So, coach gone. Maybe Poles isn't gone because I do think Poles has. You know, I think there's been some signs early for for some traitsy defensive tackles, Zach Pickens especially. Right, Darnell Wright's played pretty well actually as a rookie to this point Tyreek Stevenson we'll see it's out corner is so difficult in year one like if you're not Christian Gonzalez or Devin Witherspoon right now you're having you know these kind of growing pains right and and obviously Gonzalez is done for the year but but Poles hasn't done a terrible job here at least in a drafting sense in this past draft I think it was solid and and who knows on Roshan and, and Tyler Scott of course who could easily fill Darnell Mooney's role I think so but Polls could easily say, okay, we have one and two. We're going to do this thing. We're taking Caleb. Justin Fields is going to be on the market. I have a feeling Atlanta would be calling on that for sure. Uh, anybody else calling on that? Maybe Tennessee would call on that as well. Can't imagine they'd be fetching a first for Fields. But let's say they go that route, right? Then it's the top of the draft, and you have Caleb Williams at one. Or Drake May, I guess, for those who like Drake May better. Uh, if you only watched the games two days ago then you might say drake may uh who I, I i'm still almost there with drake may i i like him quite a lot though i'm not ready to put him at qb1 as they as they say on twitter the professionals have put him at qb1 that's fine cool um i'm not out on caleb williams he played really well against basically the same notre dame defense last year but whatever i'm not out on caleb williams being the number one pick so Let's say Chicago takes Caleb Williams at one. Then they're going to have a decision at two. I don't think they sell this pick either. There, There's an impact player waiting unless somebody offers a ton to go up and get the QB. I wouldn't want to move back a ton, to be honest, because they're going to have the option to take Marvin Harrison Jr. or the top tackle of their choice, which I think is important to point out here because when you watch the NFL this year, you see it. You know you see it, right? It is... A lack of talent at on the offensive line and a lack of depth on the offensive line when guys get hurt, it looks bad. It looks bad, and it's the product is suffering a little bit, I think, because of it. Right? You look at the Giants. They haven't scored an offensive touchdown in a long time this year. It has been a while. They haven't scored a first-half touchdown on offense. It's dreadful. Now, why is that? Right? Neal is not playing up to snuff in his second year. It's not been good. John Michael Schmitz has been hurt. Andrew Thomas has been hurt. Shane Lemieux got hurt. Josh Zadu, who's often playing guard, moved out to tackle where he played at North Carolina and then got hurt subsequently tonight against the Bills. So their O-line depth is, is shattered. 
Green Bay's O-line depth has not held up. Tennessee has tried to patchwork this thing. It's not working, right? Arizona might have found a solution at one of the tackle spots. Humphreys has been extended. Denver signed a massive, gave, gave, sorry, gave Mike McGlinchey a massive deal. It has been a disaster, okay? Vegas' offensive line is not good, right? But they found a way to get to three and three. Washington's is weird because it's like average, but it's not overly impactful, right? They can get the job done some weeks. Other weeks, it's not great. We know about the Jets. The Chargers have a right tackle problem. The Rams are super young there, and it can bite them big time. Seattle struggles with depth on the interior, right? And I'm just going down the draft board at this point. Like Pittsburgh, Broderick Jones, his debut was nice. Sayamalo's nice. Outside of that, they've got they've got trouble. Buffalo has not made significant improvements at tackle. You know, I, I think Miami, I think, still has work to do, right? Armstead getting hurt hurts them. San Francisco, they've figured it out how to hide offensive line. It's not going to happen forever. Uh, a game against Philly in the NFC Championship game can do that to you, right? So you, you go down the board, and that's not even thinking about, like, New England's going to have to move on from their tackles, right? They've been doing veteran patch hole work at those positions. They're going to have to figure that out eventually as well. McGarry hasn't held up for Atlanta. So... Th- so much and Cincinnati the other like like that's the reason like Burrow obviously with mobility in the calf that's the reason but like they haven't been good on the offensive line either so we've already talked about like what feels like half the league and I didn't even bring up the Chiefs who are again patchworking with Donovan Smith and they gave Juwan Taylor a big deal it's pretty shaky so but this is the perfect storm this this coming draft is the perfect storm for that and I'm going to circle this back to the Bears I promise but there are like I would say at, at this point at least in the in the consensus mocks right now, there have been seven or eight tackles as first-round picks. We're going to cover one that should be in there in every mock with the studs of the week later, but there are lots of them, and we're going to get to a bunch because we're going to kind of mini-mock out this, this sort of top 10 just for fun here, but I want to get back to the Bears quick, and we obviously got to cover every team, so we'll we'll circle back to the Bears here. But they they their offensive line is okay. It is not great. They, they have issues on the interior, and Braxton Jones may be the guy at left tackle, or you can make him the swing tackle, and you feel a lot better with him as the third tackle. And then you have, you know, maybe your top guy there at two. So it's a it's a, it's a tough decision, right? Do you want to give Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and DJ Moore? Awesome, very fun, would be unreal. I would love to see two studs at the top of their position groups joining each other in the same draft. I think that would be so cool. Right, and I think Houston was one of the teams that had a potential opportunity to do so. Right, like they moved up for Will Anderson at three in April, so they had the chance to do that. It would be very cool to see it happen. Uh, as a Packers fan, seeing Chicago do it, less enthused about that outcome, but still, I think it'd be very cool to see that. So, hey, I mean, if, if the Bears want to go that route, sure, and they feel like they've, you know, acquired, I think enough picks where if you look at where they're at on day two of the draft at the moment you know they're going to be in the in the high 30s right or in the 30s at least with their second round pick and they'll be potentially in the top 70 with their third round pick so that gives them options there as well to potentially fill a need on the interior right so 
it could potentially give them options. It depends on how they feel about Braxton Jones, but think about Caleb Williams and Olu Fashanu, right? Great pass protector, a mm, little bit meh, run defender, right? I think J.C. Latham's in that in that camp as well in terms of the splits, but I think he's a powerful mover who I think you just have to teach better technique to because I think he has that finishing mentality out of Alabama. You have to go from the right side to the left side. Fashanu's already over there. There's obviously Joe Alt from Notre Dame who we've brought up on the pod plenty of times who is kind of the best of both worlds, right? He, he's kind of more well-rounded, but I will say the overextension and the balance issues that could potentially happen in pass protection that I've seen now against USC, against Ohio State, I'm a little hesitant. And then there's traits, traits, size, all of this with Amarius Mims who got hurt in the South Carolina game for Georgia. Should be coming back uh, very soon. If he didn't this week, actually, I should have looked that up uh, beforehand but I'm going to do it now while I'm just kind of not not as much rambling but right so Marius Mims is there so like those four are kind of at the top right now and it hasn't been like we haven't seen that move too much maybe the order has been tweaked a little but as for now right we sit here with I'm looking 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 yeah Marius Mims has not played yet okay I didn't think so because he had the tightrope surgery that um, Tua had uh, in his one of his final years at Alabama. So those four at the top, right? There are other guys that that I will bring up here. Right, you have Kingsley Suamataya from BYU, Patrick Paul from Houston, Graham Barton from Duke, and then Jordan Morgan from Arizona. And then there's the guy we're going to talk about in a little bit. But so Chicago has has a decision to make there. My gut tells me that they would lean Caleb and Marvin. I think they would do that knowing that there's, if they let, think they're like, oh yeah, there are eight tackles in this class. We feel good about one getting a 38, which bold move, but possible. Just depends on how the top 10 goes, which we're going to get to that. But so let's, yeah, Chicago, they're going to have options. They're going to have a decision to make. Denver at three. It feels like quarterback, folks. It does. And I know cutting bait with Wilson isn't like the best idea here, but that you've got to see something else. Right, and I think if it's not QB, it's probably edge tackle, and that's probably it. I just don't imagine they're gonna like. I get it. Like Kool Aid McKinstry is a good player at corner for Bama. I just I, I Denver's got other issues than corner at the moment, unless they're fire sailing and actually trading Sertan, which they have said they're not doing. So there is that part of the equation for Denver. To me, you're at three. Right, either if Chicago is trading this pick or not, unless they're nuts and they trade both, you're getting Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams at three if you stay there. Right, so that's part of the discussion that they're going to have this offseason, I'm sure. Um, and they're going to have to figure that out. If it's May, it's May, and I think that's that's a really strong pick for them. Uh, they're going to have Sutton there. They're going to have Mims there. They're going to have tight ends there. I imagine Judy's going to get moved before we uh, before we see the trade deadline wrap up. So we'll see. Obviously, the big thing with Denver, and it's important to note this, their second-round pick belongs to New Orleans. So not ideal there. Uh, that's something that... You know, Denver and their third round pick. Oh, goodness. Yeah, as you look down this thing, their third round pick belongs to Seattle. 
So Denver doesn't pick, at least right now, this very second, double-checking, but I'm pretty sure Denver doesn't pick again until pick 81 as of the order tonight before Monday Night Football. That's wild. They It could be a trade-out. I imagine if they like Mayor Williams, they're going to stay, of course. But that's that's a roster that looks pretty barren right now, and they're going to have to decide pretty soon if like all right you know wilson's not totally the problem he hasn't been good but he's not totally the problem we got to get better in these areas xyz move out of three recoup some stuff here let's try to be able to have multiple picks uh on day two potentially another one next year like we gotta we gotta get out of this rush trade a little bit and and start recouping some assets that's very possible they're obviously probably going to get something if they fire sale right with with judy and whatnot so Denver's going to have a tough decision to make. Arizona at four has a tough decision to make as well, right? Like Kyler coming back, do you trade that contract? What's going to happen there? Like they've been slightly competitive. And I think Kyler kind of telling management like, hey, this Paris Johnson guy's pretty good, huh? Like I, I feel like Arizona right now, one and five, they don't have to rush Kyler back if they're going to to uh, to stick with him, right? You want him to be healthy. You want that play style back. It, 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 but you need to see him play with instruction a little bit more. Right, so that so that's going to be an interesting thing at, for Arizona at four. If if it's Arizona at four, like they they have options too, right? Like this could be the team where again tackle feels pretty set for them. They could go edge, right? Latu Latu has had a tremendous season to this point. Again, he is dominating as a pass rusher. He has grades above ninety one the last two seasons to this point as a pass rusher. Had 65 pressures and 12 sacks last year. Has 29 so far this year. Not quite on the same pace. But man, it's going to be close, right? He's got six sacks. He's on pace for 12. He's on pace for close to 60 pressures. He's been dynamite. I think he's moved ahead of Verse. I don't think Verse has had the best season to this point. So that's that would point me to Latu for Arizona if they went edge to this point. Uh, I think it gives you a bigger guy on the edge. Right where you have Ojolari is a, a bit of a smaller, more rush end, and you have Latu to kind of potentially be your defensive end. The run defense grades aren't aren't terrible. It's gotten better according to PFF this season, which is very good. Right, he's powerfully as length. He has a plan of attack. I think there's a lot of moves to his game, which is really good. So they could they could potentially do that there. They could take Kool Aid McKinstry to be their corner one. They desperately need that, or they could get spicy. Marvin Harrison Jr. If he's there. Brock Bowers, maybe this is that first conversation that we're having in Arizona. So Arizona's in a good spot because they have four and twelve currently. It just depends how good Houston gets. Is that Houston's playing? They're 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 spry. They're plucky. They're playing good ball right now. Uh, if they had beaten Atlanta, boy, we we'd be talking about them a lot more uh, in this postseason race, which is crazy to think about. But I do think Houston ultimately falls a little bit short. But I do think wow. Like you talk about being ahead of schedule, they definitely are. So I do think I do think they both end up probably in the top fifteen, top sixteen or so picks for Arizona, which is a great position to be in. If you're Arizona and you don't want to move on from Kyler, if you do, maybe Chicago's open to it, maybe Denver's open to it, to where you can pick swap, go up one. We'll see. Like they're going to have options because they have two first round picks right now. They set themselves up well last draft, right? They they were like, ah, oh, we well, you know. We'd like Anderson, but at the same time, we're going to move back. Like, they must have not thought Anderson was a world beater at edge. That's fine. Like, perfectly acceptable. 
and they did a good job maneuvering around the board, and that's going to give them a lot of options in this draft too, where they have, you know, I think five picks in the top 74 as it stands right now, which is a great position to be in. Okay, New York Giants at five. I think this is tackle and or this is receiver. So Marvin Harrison Jr. would obviously probably be at the top of their list at receiver. We're recycling the same names, but like this is just, I think, more important to go through the teams themselves. Right, so the Giants, Evan Neal has not been it to this point. That has been clear. I think Isaiah Hodgins, not really much to write home about. I think Darius Slayton has played well in some spurts this year. Wandell, you have a slot. Like You have Slayton and, and Jalen Hyatt both kind of as Zs, and Slayton can be a slot as well where they're, they're, they're field stretchers, which is nice to have. Like Jalen Hyatt... Wide receiver one talk always seems strange to me. Now we're only, you know, we're only six games into his career, but he just seems like the big play threat where he's going to operate the vertical plane. Like you might be able to ask him to work over the middle of the field and secure some passes. He's not a good yak player to this point. So Hyatt's in a defined role where Harrison Jr. steps in and becomes your, your wide receiver one, your ex instantly move him all over the place, get him the ball, like let him be that dude. Uh, but maybe this is where it's crazy as it sounds where the Keon Coleman hype starts, which is crazy to think about. But this receiver class is slowly getting better and better and better. The more names that are emerging, the more guys that are able to play. And we'll get to that in their studs of the week. But like, I mean, Keon Coleman, ball winner, but he's proven a little bit more now through through six weeks, seven weeks at Florida State that like, hey, I can I can win in other ways. I can win as a route runner. Right, I can win with some tempo. I can get into blind spots. I can win after the catch. I'm quick. I'm explosive. Right, he's shown that ability. And then you know, you watch him at the catch point win the ball. You saw him this past week. If you didn't against Syracuse, the one-handed catch, absolutely absurd. So maybe this is where it starts for him. If not, it's tackle, and it it probably starts with okay. Like, did Fashanu go? If Fashanu didn't go, maybe we're going Fashanu. Or you want to stay big boy at right tackle. I don't know if they'd want to go the Alabama route again, but J.C. Latham would be really nice over there as well. Joe Alt would have to make the move to right. Amarius Mims has played right tackle. So they're going to have options if they're in the top six. Like they're going to have one of the tackles of the top four currently consensus available to them. Just about figuring out what, what fits best. For me, it's hard not to think about swinging Amarius Mims at this point. Um, but Latham, I, I really like powerful poised pass blocker he doesn't look as clunky or as you know balance challenged as Neil was at times he, he looks a little much more refined in that area which is a good sign for him uh so yeah Giants would be wide receiver offensive tackle I don't think the defense is necessarily an issue uh you know the front is really good Bobby Okereke has played well Deontay Banks you have at corner there could be some issues at safety but again you have that the, the draft isn't one round so Wide receiver, offensive line, I, I just quarterback I don't see for them, but we'll see. Uh, New England at six right now. Yeah, I mean this is this is probably QB if they like one or if they move up for one, right? Like New England trading with Chicago isn't crazy to think about at all. Uh, would probably give Chicago a second this year and give them, you know, something like two six thirty seven thirty eight sixty nine for Chicago in this draft then. So, you know, that's it's something where New England 
They don't like Mac Jones at this point. They got to figure out what they're going to do to move on. I don't know if they would be interested in someone like Cousins if Minnesota doesn't re-up. That's something to think about as well. But yeah, I just I think they got to hit the reset button. I don't know how they're going to do it. They could be one and seven very quickly. They play Buffalo and Miami their next two. So they could be moving up the board. They could be ahead of Denver, Arizona, and the Giants, even by by season's end, where they're getting May or Williams. And we're solved, but they're at six right now. So quarterback's not guaranteed. Would they go Shadur Sanders out of Colorado if he declares? Maybe. Uh, things would be a little bit more spread. I think it'd be you know maybe more beneficial to have somebody like McDaniels running your offense. I don't know if RPOs are, are Sanders' thing, really. Uh, they could go Penix, but Penix down to down to me seems like somebody who might have a little bit of trouble, but maybe New England, it's exactly what he needs, but New England's got to get better at pass catcher. They have to. And and what really stinks about this is the draft, you know, everything's, you know, wild card. We don't know anything. We're guessing. We're projecting. Like, that's we're evaluating as well as we can. We're going to be wrong a bunch. But I'll tell you what, like, the New England Patriots, when they pick a receiver – it's pretty much almost always going to be a failure. Uh, this is their blind spot for sure. In the draft, it goes all the way back to Aaron Dobson as the second-round pick. You know, Nikhil Harry was a first-round pick for them. The evaluation community was very divided on Nikhil Harry. Uh, that's just how it was. Like, he was just a really physically talented, athletic player who just never fully grasped the idea of mastering the art of the route running capabilities. And it just, it just never caught on. Uh, he just tried to be bigger than more athletic, be bigger and more athletic than everybody. It just didn't work. And then they Taekwon Thornton in the second round last year or yes. Yeah. Last year, 2022. So, yeah, New England's got to get better there. Would they consider Coleman this early? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like their type of thing. Would they consider Brock Bowers this early? Now, that's certainly a question there, right? You know, you 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 have some contracts running up. They're, they're kind of done, a few of them, in New England after this year at tight end. Bowers becomes a move piece. He's all over the place. You know, he competes as a blocker, but, you know, he's exceptional hands, exceptional yak ability, exceptional speed to work up the seam pretty good route runner already it's it's got room to develop but it's really good or they just settle on the fact that they can get joe alt fashanu latham or mim is one of those guys in the building notice how i'm mentioning tackle for basically everybody this is important i think but tackle and offense we've, we've barely talked defense we barely talked defense because the top of this draft right now in my opinion is qb receiver tackle brock bowers and then a couple edge guys in a corner right now that's where things stand. Uh, Jerzon Newton maybe enters the conversation a little bit later. Leonard Taylor as well, the two defensive tackles. But like right now, it looks like an offensive heavy draft, which is good for, especially for teams on the offensive line. But the, we have we have discussed offensive line for basically everybody but Arizona. Denver's paid a lot of money into theirs, but you never know. So there you go. Minnesota's the first one we're not going to talk about offensive line because I think they're set at tackle. They could obviously talk about interior stuff later in the draft. That's totally fine. But for Minnesota, it's going to be all right. You know, are you high enough to draft a QB if Cousins doesn't come back? And if if that's if that's the case and, and they have a shot at Williams or May, I think they're going to take it. 
Uh, it, it seems like Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensa has has you know really had people buy in because they went thirteen and four last year, which is very awesome for them. But I think they're still trending to the point of like we want to be younger, right? We we've tried this Cousins thing, we want to get out of this Cousins thing, right? So that's something that I think they're going to explore. Will that be Shitter Sanders? Will that be Michael Penix? Maybe. Uh, it, it's going to be weird, the Penix stuff right now. I'm not sure what we're going to do. I, I can't wait to get more film on him to study uh, because the placement on, on some throws is outstanding. But like I said, down to down when pressure is coming, like he just feels like he feels like Tua who hasn't completely mastered hot routes and, and quick reaction skills post-snap. That's what it feels like to me. Like I think he does a great job maneuvering post-snap when there's time. But when you have to make the quick call, he hasn't really elevated himself to where Tua has to this point. And that's, I think, the difference. So they're going to have to weigh that with Penix. They're going to have to weigh stuff with Sanders. I think Sanders, to me, him, and I want to bring this up, him and Michael Pratt from Tulane entering this week. We'll see what the numbers are after this week. But entering this week of the draft-eligible quarterbacks that we've talked about a lot uh, so far this summer and fall, like 9, 10, 11 of them, those two, among the ones we've discussed, have been the best against pressure. Those two guys. And, you know, I think that's that's a testament to, to the poise of, of Sanders and really the poise of a, of a tough, gritty player like, like Pratt. So Sanders plays tough and gritty as well. Like, those two guys have handled pressure the best to this point, which is, which is really good for them. Uh, but again, the, the whole Shitter Sanders thing is will he declare, right? That's that's the whole thing. So Minnesota, obviously a QB, but they're the ones that defense really starts creeping into your mind if it's not QB, right? Newton will be talked about here a lot uh, among Minnesota fans in mocks and in just in general. I think Latu needs to come into conversation. I think Dallas Turner needs to come into conversation before Verse. Verse would be third on the list. And then Kool-Aid McKinstry, which again, they've, they've consistently failed at corner. Andrew Booth is becoming a big whiff for me. Uh, so like Kool-Aid, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't mind that there either. So Minnesota, QB, or defense, Tennessee at eight. What else is there to say, man? This is O-line again. Like they this could be the fourth tackle at eight. Like this could Green Bay at nine could miss out on the top four tackles legitimately. Uh, because Tennessee takes the fourth one. Like it could be. Like, think about this. It could be Chicago, uh, Giants, New England, Tennessee, not, and without blinking. And then, boom, Green Bay's out of a tackle. No, not top four, not there. So, Tennessee, to me, is O-line. You've invested so much in two QBs to this point. Like, are you going to really do it again? I don't think so. I, Edge maybe comes into conversation, but it's trenches for for the Tennessee Titans, unless maybe Kool-Aid they like a lot. I know their secondary has been a little bit of an issue to this point. They've invested a lot in corner as well, so I'm not sure they would completely abandon the investment, but might be time to. Um, after that, obviously, is the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to keep this short because after the break, we're going to talk a lot more about Green Bay and just a lot of things like how the rookies are doing and whatever because it's a bye week and it's a good evaluation point. But Green Bay at 9, I mean, tackle, QB... Brock Bowers question mark um I the, my issue with going like someone like Newton or Taylor to me signals that 
you want more pass rush and it doesn't seem like that's something where like interior that they need Devonte wyatt's like 13th in pressure rate right now in the in the league at defensive tackle i think carl brooks is coming along nicely right like you can ride out kenny clark's end of contract with with guys waiting in the wings but if you like newton and you want to take him okay fine i think it's i think it's qb i think it's o-line and i think it's i think kool-aid mckinstry comes into conversation here and i think he should come into conversation where you know i get it like you, you feel comfortable with your secondary rasul douglas has played well jair has not and you know will stokes get back i don't know but kool-aid would be a heck of an ad that's that's what i'll say i think he would be a heck of an ad to the secondary too early for safety in my opinion maybe it's cam kinchins from miami at nine though to me it might be stretching it a little bit um yeah, so I, I think it's tackle uh, if they have one of the four available, or this you know there's a, a fifth guy who maybe makes a rise and they really like him and they want to you know get a little bit better in the an aspect of the game that they I feel like they need to get better at. But to me, it's it's the premiums, uh, just like it should be. Like I said, Brock Bowers maybe comes into conversation here, but that's about it for Green Bay, New Orleans. I, I genuinely don't know. Like the roster feels like it should be better than it is right now. Like they're three and three, but like man, it's just it, three and three feels disappointing in a division where everybody lost this week one and two. You know, everybody else had questions at quarterback. I know Derek Carr isn't exactly a solution to a question per se at QB, but it felt like the most stable position of anybody, right? Carolina rookie coming in into a roster that wasn't really good, so that that was the issue with Carolina. Like Atlanta was like, well, is Ritter the guy? Right, they had that issue, and then obviously Tampa Bay was kind of like, ah, we'll, we'll kind of bridge Mayfield. We'll see how this goes. And New Orleans finds himself firmly in third place right now. So, you know, I, I, anything should be on the table here. Corner, safety, defensive line, offensive line. Obviously, Penning, they benched for James Hurst. That's something to monitor. But then again, right, that's Green Bay and New Orleans. We've already thrown into the offensive line conversation with them, Chicago, right? It's So it's Chicago. Maybe Denver, but not really. They've paid a lot. I don't know how they're going to get out of that. So it's Chicago, Giants, New England, Tennessee, Green Bay, New Orleans. That's six and ten. Six of ten picks. We're talking about O line. Wild stuff. So there you go. Like that's the top ten, some needs, where we stand for a lot of things. Let's take a break here. I know this has been a little bit longer than we anticipated, but we'll take the break and we'll come back uh, with some more thoughts on Green Bay and then the studs of the week in college football. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited 
about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, guys. So for Green Bay, we're back here on It's Always Draft Season. For Green Bay, I mean, I think really to this point, there were there were a lot of thoughts about, okay, well, you know, this is evaluation year. Everybody's young, right? This is This is like kind of not a throwaway year, but it's one where you want to see how all the young picks and talent gel. You have a quarterback you have to throw out there. I think it's too early to sink love, but it's not looking good right now, especially for a guy who's in his fourth year, right? So there's that. I mean, you know, you look around the league, and so there's some QB play that's been pretty suspect right now. Like Jalen Hurts has seven picks, so like he hasn't been on his game. Mahomes hasn't been on his game. Allen really hasn't been on his game, but obviously those guys are, are cemented starters. You're not even comparing love to these guys, but Ritter threw three picks today. Howell has looked really iffy. Like, I get it if you're like, oh, well, that's just fine. But, like, Washington, I'm sorry. Like, you may sneak in as the seven seed, but that's all it's going to be. So do you want to live in that sort of kind of purgatory area with your team and hope that you can build everything perfectly around it for Howell? I don't know. Maybe they want to do that. But I think the other three young QBs, I think obviously Bryce Young found it, I think, a little bit against Miami. Miami's been seeming kind of like a get-right defense for a lot of teams, so... It was nice that Young, I think, kind of took care of business. Stroud's been good. Um, I know the completion percentage wasn't superb today against the Saints. But the one thing the Saints definitely do is play defense. So it's hard to say. I mean, they obviously shut New England out, right? They were shutting Green Bay out. Not not necessarily top offenses per se, but like their defense has given them opportunities they shut down Tennessee like I'm now naming all these like <laughs> all these teams at the top um but I think they did better against Houston who's played pretty well in a lot of games so you know I I don't think the defense is bad in New Orleans so you know I I, I think that for Stroud and for Young and for Richardson they've been playing well Love hasn't really but there's still time this year to kind of right the ship, right? Like the, the combination of two rookie receivers, two second-year receivers, rookie tight end, rookie tight end, rookie tight end, right? Like, the, uh, you know, second year, but kind of a rookie at left tackle almost in, in Rasheed Walker where it just hasn't been great. Uh, you know, Tom has really been the shining light on the offensive line. Jenkins has been fine. Myers has been so-so. Runyon has been the one that's probably going to get replaced. Like, it hasn't gelled, but it also isn't like, okay, well, you know, where do we where do we go? Like, this is this is blow it up. Like, whatever. Like, th- that's that's not where they're going to go. They're gonna they're gonna be patient. Uh, but obviously, you know. We sit here on the bye week. You know, it's been nice to kind of rest and, and look at, you know, just kind of watch other teams sort of kind of crumble or find their stride. It was, it was a nice being like just more of like, okay, I don't have a 
big rooting interest this week. It was nice to just kind of be able to like watch the football and just sort of really take a look at what other teams are doing well and what whatnot. So again, Green Bay isn't the only one with this offensive line problem. It's very prevalent around the league. So unless you're, you know, Philadelphia Eagles who did lose Lane Johnson today, I don't know how long he'll be out or your D- Detroit Lions. Like your your offensive line is pretty much in flux. Dallas when they're healthy is a good offensive line. But man, other than that, when you go up and down this list, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Indianapolis has played actually pretty decent, but Green Bay's not in like this crazy boat of, of like they're oh, they're by themselves, like, you know, all this. So right, I think Watson, you know, the the catching the football is still something to monitor. How effective can he be if he's the deep threat guy all the time where love isn't hitting, you know, a lot of deep passes? That's a question. Um, as for the rookies, I think Reed has become more of a schemed open player than he is a win on your own player. He did a little bit in the Saints game, which was good. Uh, but other than that, I, I feel like we haven't seen him very much, right? Other than the Bears game and the Saints game. And then obviously had two touchdowns on scheme plays with a little pop pass off of jet motion. And then a little run to the flat for his second touchdown. I feel like it's been kind of like, okay, no, he's an explosive player who will get his due, but right now i think i trust wicks a little bit more uh, get blocker right he's got a really good success rate against man coverage right now i think it's in the 70 70s in terms of percentages for winning against man coverage which is like near the tops of the league if i'm not mistaken to this point and so for a guy who blocks his butt off and gets open against man coverage especially i'm not sure why he's not on the field more and i'm doing a, i'm doing a video on that on the channel of course this week for those who know about that but I think Wicks has played better than Reed. That's, again, not to really like to my own horn here. I try not to do that that much, but I did have Wicks ahead of Reed in pre-draft rankings. So that's nice to see Wicks kind of, you know, making making himself known when he's out there, which is cool. Um, but again, I also was a big Tucker Craft fan, and it has just not worked out to this point. So lick the wounds there on that one. Again, it might take Craft a long time, you know, we, we may get really accustomed to this tight end thing of like, oh, they're going to be really good right away, right? You saw Evan Ingram be good, you know, as a rookie. You saw Kyle Pitts be really good as a rookie. And now Sam Laporta is playing really, really well. And you're like, okay, well, what about what about us? Like, what about my guy? Like, might need to stretch a little bit of patience at tight end position because we, we... And again, I think this was... It was clear that this tight end class was a little bit different than ones we've seen in the past where there were some guys who were like, yeah, I mean, they're kind of, you know, receivers, a little bit we're like yeah they're gonna get open and catch the football like that shouldn't be a tall task for them like michael mayer joins Devonte adams and jacoby myers having a great year like michael mayer if he's on the field is going to get targets because there's so much attention elsewhere and like mayer for all his credit is a good receiving tight end right and i think amon ross st brown commands a lot of attention now they've got jameson williams who's going to command attention with his speed Right, they, there's so much going on in Detroit. Their old line's really good, but like Laporta was a nuanced separator as a tight end. It shouldn't be surprising that he's doing well. Right, Musgrave was a lot of straight line player with potential to be a multifaceted player, and I think he can be that force multiplier. It's just going to take some time. Like he's been explosive and quick out of the out of the his stance and, and out of like kind of almost the you know the starting block in terms of blocking and like getting out to the second level and getting around guys. And like, that's what, that's where he has, has really thrived. It's a little bit tougher when you're handling duties one-on-one and against an edge, an edge rusher. That's just that, that's how it is. Right. 
But I think the technique has been there. There's been flashes of that. And I think there's been flashes of the playmaking skill. It's just going to be about, you know, if Love can find him more, if the scheme's going to give him opportunities as a pass catcher deep and over the middle of the field where he can thrive. But he was always a little bit of a high ceiling guy who needed some work as well. And then there's Tucker Craft who came in as a running back to San Diego or South Dakota State, sorry, and found a groove where he was a mean finisher, you know, elusive yak guy, good catcher of the football. And it's like, okay, well, this is a step up, then a step up, right? Like transferring to Bama might have been a good thing for him. It's cool that he didn't and he was, you know, staying low to to a, a school that was awesome, but like maybe Bama would have taught him a little bit more and you know, we we'd see a little bit more right now. But again, it's it's patient season, right? The rookies, Van Ness, we kind of figured that as well was more of a long play. Right? He's created some pressure. He's been he's been good retracing his rush. He's been good pursuing, right, using that athleticism as best he can to make plays, and that's that's kind of where we've seen him to this point, and that's fine. Uh Carl Brooks a little bit of a I think I I I I coined Devontae Wyatt as the pressure cooker on defense and I'm gonna I'm gonna coin Carl Brooks as pressure cooker junior uh he is the next one up uh to pressure cook and just give him some time to do so I do think Brooks has has shown that again the two-hand swipe baby that is working uh he's getting his hand in the way of passing lanes which is great so like he's there he's part of the rotation and he should be awesome so like this rookie class I, i'm excited for them because i do think that your anthony johnson jr hopefully at some point gets a chance to play and we get to see what he can do but like this is really this is there's a lot of young talent here that we just need to let it season a little bit right we're not making we're not making eight minute chicken nuggets here okay this is a this is you know something you put in the crock pot for eight hours this is something that you're putting on the grill for a while like it needs time like like i said it's not eight dollar chicken nuggets so or eight minute chicken nuggets both of those work whatever uh so we need some time but you know the the draft is something we talk about here so it's like you know would you take would you take jordan love or drake may right now i'd probably take drake may because i think he hits the deep ball a lot better right He's, he's going to open up that part of the playbook right so there's a little bit of that uh i know we didn't mention him uh, in the first half of the show, but JJ McCarthy from Michigan is playing a lot better. Obviously, we're going to want to see it against Penn State. We're going to want to see it against Ohio State, and in the playoff if they get there, right? So there is that that part of the equation. So you know, but McCarthy's been a, a good sort of. I'm executing the offense. I'm delivering strikes on time accurately, giving my playmakers a chance. I'm making throws on the run that I I haven't quite made previously the accuracy looks better like he looks more confident playing the game he's a good athlete as well so this is like i think he enters i've always thought of him as a really nice fit in atlanta but like by extension i think there it's a a nice fit in green bay as well where it's like okay these play action stuff you can get him rolling out you can get him on the move right you know he has the athlete for that but he's also got the decision making the poise to kind of just you know read things out if he needs to make smart decisions i think he will be less prone to doing the love thing which he learned from rogers thing of like ah deep ball yes must must throw deep ball yes uh like he won't do that type of thing which is which is good so you know maybe mccarthy's you know an interesting player Shadur sanders you know we've talked about that like that's that's interesting like i i like it, it is interesting to me i think it'd be a little bit of a different offense that he'd have to step into right and you'd have to tailor a little bit more to him Right, he'd be more air raid, spread it out type of player, which is fine. 
you've got a lot of talent to throw to i think for, for sanders in this in this young room so that's that's fun but obviously ot offensive tackle is very important uh and we've talked about it right like this is a draft where i could see eight tackles going in the first 40 picks because everybody needs it so you know what i think amarius mims be a be a really nice selection for green bay yeah jc latham yeah for sure joe alt sure that's fine um fashanu probably not happening if you pick ninth right like so could i see that absolutely uh, Kool-Aid, I think, like I said before, is very much in play. Like, I would not rule that out one bit. Obviously, we've talked about safety where, like, Cam Kitchens is a ball of energy. But I, I think it's interesting where you look at Green Bay's safety room right now and you're like, huh, you know, are they the problem? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. Like, Rudy Ford's played well. And I think Savage... You know, for as much crap as we've given him, I think has played pretty well. I know it's going to be like, you know, what have you done for me lately? I can't believe you jumped that route and didn't leap for the ball and you got hurt doing so. But like, he's played pretty, he's played okay. Like it hasn't been terrible. And Anthony Johnson Jr. is, of course, on that roster. Would I like to add a, a fourth guy? Probably like secondary matters. Uh, but nose tackle is going to be obviously where we look. And, and we'll be we'll be diving into the trenches a lot with center guard and, and nose tackle, defensive tackle. But I really wanted to leave it here with like just kind of like, okay, the rookies are doing this. Like, how are we doing? You know, can we look quarterback? And, and we might. We might look quarterback. But I think for now, I think you look at Green Bay and you go, okay, settle down. Let's bring ourselves to, to kind of homeostasis. Bring it back to zero and go, okay, here's what we've seen. Here's what we want to see more of. It's been, it's been five weeks, right? We haven't even played a third of the season because we had the early bye. So let's see what happens, right? Let's let's see what happens going forward. The easy schedule. See if we can take advantage of that. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. That's where I am on Green Bay right now. Mentioned a few prospects, right? We'll we'll get to a lot more because we're going to go to studs of the week right now. So yes, a lot more draft prospect. Woo! Okay. So first guy that needs to be in the first round mocks. Put him in there. I'm serious. I've I've had enough. I wrote something about him on the Substack. If you're interested. Uh, the quick slant, just exactly as it sounds, .substack.com, wrote something on Taliesa Fuaga. Tali, tall Iesa Fuaga. That's how, that's how it's pronounced on Oregon State's website. Offensive tackle. Want to bring this up because he still is a stud of the week, but want to bring up what, what I've seen to this point. He has now, after week seven of college football, 1240 snaps at right tackle first season he got snaps at right tackle was in 2021 a very limited amount graded very highly in 2022 uh, his first full season right you see uh, a, uh an 80 overall grade 79 run blocking grade and a 76.8 pass blocking grade so there you go right he allowed 11 pressures no sacks okay three penalties now he's had five penalties this year the penalties have gone up a little bit however however overall grade 89.9 run blocking grade 91.9 yes sir okay 79 pass blocking grade so everything's gotten better this year which is awesome he's just allowed four pressures in 177 opportunities that is a better efficiency mark than last year already obviously it's still early however okay 
the grade, his two highest grades to this point, okay, were week four against Washington State, which, again, to that point was the best opponent they played. He had grades of 69, 69.4, and 69.2 leading up to that. The Washington State grade was a 93. 95 is a run blocker, 84 is a pass blocker. Now, if you want to check out his game, Washington State and Utah are both on YouTube right now. Okay, if you look up their offense versus, right? Utah, he had a 76 overall grade. However, an 84 pass blocking grade in that game and a 70 run blocking grade. Very solid. Now, for the stud of the week, because he did this, right, we have an 84.3 grade against UCLA. The run blocking, okay? We got to talk about it. 89.9. The pass blocking was a 74.4. He did allow one pressure, but here's why he's stud of the week for allowing one pressure, okay? He faced, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through the game. I'm gonna, we're going to delve into that. I don't have the game. Uh, the guy who posts all this stuff um, had his wedding this weekend, so he posts all this stuff on YouTube, so I don't know if it's going to come out early this week or late this week, but I'm going to get to that game, see how many times he faced each of these guys, but I saw Latu move around in the game, but he was definitely had Latu on him, on his side for a significant portion of the game. Latu still graded pretty well. Uh, however, the run defense grade wasn't great. His pass rush rate was good, but he had one pressure. He had one pressure. Now, to put that in perspective for Layatu Latu, he has 29 pressures and six sacks this season. He had 10 pressures against Washington State, okay? Had two against Utah. So, here we sit now, uh, 12 pressures in, in, in Pac-12 play to this point. Comes into the Oregon State game, one pressure, Okay. And this is the guy we talked about as, I think, the potential edge one in the class right now because he's been better than Verse this year. He's been better than Dallas Turner this year, okay? He's still on pace, like I mentioned earlier, for 12 sacks and 58 pressures. That would be nearly identical to last season. But with all the attention because of last season's performance, okay? Now, Gabriel Murphy... The other edge rusher, 6'3", 260, and by the way, Lyle Chulatu, 6'5", 265, didn't mention Taliesa Fuaga is 6'6", 334. It would be a very different type of player as a tackle. We're going to get there. Hold on. Okay, so Gabriel Murphy, okay, 6'3", 260. Gabriel Murphy, last year at UCLA after transferring from North Texas. He's in his fifth year. He had an 87 pass rush grade last year and an 83 overall grade. This year for UCLA, he's taken the step. He's got a 90 pass rush grade and an 88 overall grade this year. Okay, last year at UCLA, 43 pressures, two sacks. His last year at North Texas, 48 pressures, eight sacks. This year, he is on pace for last year again. He's got 24 pressures, two sacks. He's going to have more sacks, I think, this year than last. I think he's going to have more pressures this year than last for UCLA. Okay. He had two pressures in the game. Now, that's three pressures between the two who have a combined 53 this year. They had three total. Fuaga only gave up one of them. Okay? So that means Joshua Gray, who a lot of people were interested in coming into the season. Okay? A lot of people were interested in him at left tackle. He must have given up the other two. So, 
we look at Taliesa Fuaga, and I've written up my thoughts on him already with those two games that I watched of Washington State and Utah. was great because it's against the best competition he's faced, right? He gave up one pressure between those two games alone. Okay, gave none up against Cal and then one against UCLA. So he's given up two in four Pac-12 games. When I watch this guy play, I am enthralled with how he plays. At 334, he has exceptional quicks, change of direction skills to mirror and pass pro, to reach block. I can't believe the explosion and balance that he has. And then he gets to the second level landmarks. And I'm telling you, he punishes dudes. He's got raw power that he generates from that explosion. It's pancake season with him. He has done that. It's very, very good. The reach blocking, the second level, the finishing skills as a run blocker is is superb. They are running, by the way, I think this is important too, I believe to this point now, they are running, and I'm going to go to this run blocking because I didn't go there yet. Yeah, so this is what I find very interesting, right? He has been a part of 119 zone running plays compared to 55 gap running plays this season. Okay, he's been in more zone plays than gap plays. Now, Green Bay does both, but he's got a 91.9 grade. Zone blocker, 334. Are you joking? And as a pass protector, I really like it because he's got quick and light feet into his set. and He stays square, right? And he's got enough power where he doesn't need to just sort of overreach to generate some power, right? He can anchor. He's able to to acquire leverage quickly, maintain leverage. When he loses it, he's a good hand fighter to maintain it. The only thing that I question potentially is the length, which brings me to my other proposition, right? This guy can be another versatile playmaker along the offensive line. And yes, I said playmaker because I'll tell you what, I he blew me away. Put him in your first round mocks. Packers fans, get on this guy this is exactly what the O-line needs, an enforcer with ballerina feet, man. This is it right here. This is the guy we, you need to be looking at every week going forward. Find the Oregon State game, watch it. If it's on Pac-12 Network, figure it out. If it isn't, find it on the regular networks. Like the, They're a good team, first of all, so they're going to be on TV, right? They were, they were number 15 coming into the week. I don't know what they are now. I didn't look. He is exceptional, and I'm really thrilled with with with. And I think Ian Cummings of Pro Football Network mentioned him first, so I want to give him credit for that, for sure. It's not like I have found the diamond in the rough, but I'm, I'm all in. I'm on this train. I will not be getting off of it. Thank you very much. So there you go. First start of the week, Fuaga, excellent performance against Latu and Murphy, two guys who, again, should be on the edge radar for sure. Okay, let's move on a little bit to more studs of the week. Uh, before I, I talk my talk you guys' ear off for about an hour and a half on Taliesa Fuaga. Uh, Devontae Walker, Tez Walker, finally. Uh, two seasons at Kent State. Had 58 catches, 921 yards, and 11 touchdowns last year at Kent State. Transfers. Uh, the NCAA says, no, you can't play yet. Finally, by week six against Syracuse last week, he is allowed to play. Well... Get some, get some legs under him, and then plays Miami. Big game, right? Ranked opponent. I know Miami came off the bad loss against Georgia Tech, but still, Miami, they got out to a lead against North Carolina. My guy, Tez Walker, 6'2", 200. Probably closer to 6'1", 197 than 6'2", 200. So the numbers don't look as gaudy that way in terms of size, but I'll tell you what. 
six for 132, three touchdowns. So caught three of Drake May's four touchdowns. Big part of that, uh, you know, it, it, he's such a long strider, and and it, it it looks like effortless speed when he runs. Don't know about the route tree, right? Still waiting on the film for him the last two weeks, so I'll get into dig into that for sure and take a look for what I see. But he's a stud of the week because again, you now you've added another name, another now a junior to the mix at receiver. In a class that features obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., we've talked about Keon Coleman, we've briefly mentioned Malik Neighbors, Amika Buka, Xavier Worthy, right? Like all of these names are coming up. And Devontae Walker playing with May is going to get a lot of attention, and he should. Big week for him. Long strider, good hands, catch point guy. We'll see about the rest when I dive into the film, but like start of the week, absolutely. Another start of the week who we have mentioned before, right? Quickly bring up Keon Coleman, uh, who had nine nine for a buck forty and a touchdown against Syracuse. Uh, he's been a little bit hot and cold with his games, right? He had nine for one twenty two and three against LSU. Again, showed off the three phase ability in that game. Clemson came alive uh, late to help them come back and win. Caught five for eighty six and two touchdowns, and then again nine for one forty and a touchdown against Syracuse. So the big games, he showed up big against the the. You know, the opponents that they weren't as worried about, he hasn't showed up big for those. But, you know, 6-4-2-15 with quick feet and three-phase winner, that's that's something that should get your attention. He had a good week. Washington obviously has a couple studs, right? They get a big win against Oregon. Rome Odunze, my guy, at receiver, 6-3-2-15 listed. Uh, obviously has had big games. He has had 100-yard games all but week five against Arizona where he caught five for 64. Other than that, We've been all over the 100-yard output. Uh, had 8 for 180 against Michigan State. I know Michigan State's not a big-time opponent, but oh well. He had 8 for 128 and 2 against Oregon. Odunze's just got great feel for the position. Like, you're not going to be out there saying he's the fastest, he's the most explosive, he's the best route runner, he's got the best hands. But he's really good at everything. And, and just the feel for playing the position in terms of handling the catch point, adjustment duties, Right, like finding space and zone coverage. Like he he just really has so much figured out at the receiver position. It, it is it is so much fun to watch. I wish the Packers needed receiver help because Roma Dunze is very, very good. And I wish we could have Rome and Romeo on the same team with Wicks and Watson and Re- like oh gosh, just man, that would be so much fun. But he again, stud of the week. Just in, in an offense that's filled with a lot of playmakers, Jalen Polk. Jalen McMillan didn't really play in the game, which was unfortunate. Uh, but Penix was obviously spreading the ball around. But Adunze really has become that guy. 7 for 132 and 1 against Boise State. He had 7 for 107 and 1 against Tulsa. He caught 5 for 125 and 2 against Cal. Like, he's doing it every week. Excellent player. And guy who could be at the Senior Bowl. We'll see. Uh, as we continue to move down the board of studs of the week, let's go to TJ Tampa from Iowa State, a corner. Listed 6-2-200 on PFF. Yeah, it's it's time for him to get some attention. Uh, had his best week graded out, I believe, it at 87 this week. It's 87.8. It's weird. PFF like cuts off the bottom row on a lot of their stuff, which is annoying sometimes. It might be because I'm on the smaller monitor here. But, yeah, had his best game. He's got an 88 coverage grade through seven weeks. Very, very good. A very, very consistent tackler at a 79.4. He's only had two games under a 76 in terms of tackling run defense is a 77 so he's, he's got an 87 overall 
He's taken the jump uh, so far this year. He has a pressure. Weird. Uh, he does have two missed tackles, but 28 tackles. Nine stops, which are tackles for negative plays. Uh, he's been targeted 33 times, 15 for 143, uh, with 31 yards of with 31 yards after the catch against him. He's got one touchdown. He's got two picks, uh, five pass breakups, had a pick and a pass breakup in the game against Cincinnati and a big win for them as they trend towards bowl season. He is allowing just a 42.9 passer rating in coverage. Excellent. Very, very good. Uh, he does have 27 snaps in the box. He has taken a snap at free safety, nine in the slot, but he's obviously an outside corner. A lot of zone, a lot of match principles in that three-three-five. Very interested to see, um, you know, when that when the all twenty-two when the coaches' film comes out. Want to see how he, how he has looked in a lot of that in terms of assignments, handling things, and then obviously playing the ball in the air. But I think he's done a real exceptional job uh, from what from limited stuff I've seen through seven weeks. So very interested in him. I believe he's a senior as well, so another potential senior bowl guy. Very excited about TJ Tampa. I think this is somebody whose grade right now should be in the second round range at least. But yeah, he's a stud of the week. Had his best game. Uh, very, very awesome for him. I would say Dante Corleone is a stud of the week. Defensive tackle from Cincinnati, 6'2", 3'18". He's got nine pressures in a sack this year. But I believe had his best game. Yes, best game barely against Iowa State, actually. Defensive tackle. Uh, his by far his best pass rush grade this year uh, at 83.7, but overall it's an 80 so far this year as a pass rusher. His run defense is 73, so it's not bad. He's not quite on par with where he was last year just yet, uh, but give it some time. He did grade out a little bit better. Uh, he had an elite run defense grade last year at 94, so that's something at 62318 that maybe the Packers would potentially look at as, you know, oh, this is the missing piece as a run stuffer in our offense. He has... He had 31 stops last season and, and I believe 16 pressures. So would love to see it get to that point. Uh, he, he has plenty more games to do that. Uh, and, and obviously this is, you know, he doesn't have quite the grades because I think it's a, it's a jump, right? It's a jump from the AAC to the Big 12. But I do think he's finding his footing. He played very well last week. Had, I believe, had two pressures. Yeah, so he's had two pressures in four games so far this year. I think it's I think it's getting better, and that's really exciting to see for for Corleone. All right, three more on the list. They're all SEC guys. I know. I promise we'll go diving a little bit deeper, but I do think uh, Javon Bullard had his best game so far uh, of his uh, season. You know, he is he's kind of the do it all kind of guy. Five eleven, one ninety five. He plays. He's listed as a free safety. He's played a ton of of snaps still in the box in the slot. Uh, so far this year at, um, what is that? That is 63 snaps in the box in the slot. He just have 130 at free safety, but he's moving around. He's got three snaps at corner as well. So he does a little bit of everything. He's got two pass breakups this year. He does have six stops, uh, in the run game, 15 tackles, three missed tackles, which is why the tackling grades a little bit if he's got two bad tackling games, but had his best game of the year, at least grade wise. And it, it felt like he was, he was definitely involved in a lot this week, which was very good to see. Uh, I believe that is, I think three tackles for him. No, just two, but I think it was his best day. 
And for a player who's playing some free safety, playing some box, like this is the type of player who's maybe versatile in the secondary that Green Bay would like to see in the earlier rounds than, say, an Anthony Johnson Jr. in the seventh. But we'll see. I think Javon Bullard, obviously, Georgia, going to be a lot of uh, noise and attention around them for sure. They keep winning. They don't stop winning. So it'll be interesting as as they play teams like Tennessee and Florida who have more talent at the skill positions, how he handles things. Ricky Pearsall, wide receiver from Florida, 6'1", 192. He's having a heck of a year, 44 catches, 619 yards, and three touchdowns. Absolutely dominant this week against South Carolina. His best game of the year, 10 for 166 and a score. Man just, man just plays. He such a good tracker the football great hands right he can make those spectacular catches because he's got great hands like it isn't quite his best season but he's as well-rounded as anybody uh he's got a 79 grade on offense just down from an 80.3 uh in 2022 his receiving grade has gone up one point from 79 to 80 drop grade has gone from 75 to 80 and fumble grade has gone from 77 to 79 so he's 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 heavily involved in the florida offense he's really felt like the chain mover uh, he's got two yards per route run this year with an 8 out of 12. He's won 11 of 25 contested balls at 192. That's that's an interesting one to keep to keep an eye on stat-wise. But I, I am – he, again, joins a class of receiver where it's just like, man, how many of these guys freaking are there in this class? Like it is, it is wild to think about. So big up there to Ricky Pearsall uh, and can't wait to see him continue. Um, his trajectory, I believe he is, yeah, he's a fifth-year guy, so potential senior bowl guy as well. That's got to be on the radar. And then finally, I think quarterback, we've talked about a lot of guys. We've been waiting for this. Jaden Daniels, fifth year. Okay, we were talking about him a lot at Arizona State, and it took some time. 2021 at Arizona State, his grades were good, but he had 10 touchdowns, 10 picks. Not great. Needed to cut down on the turnovers. Need to play more efficient ball. He played a little bit better last year at LSU. I think it was still taking some getting used to. He had 17 touchdowns, three picks, seven and a half yards per attempt. He did have 12 big time throws to just three turnover worthy plays. So all of his turnover worthy plays ended up as picks last season. Uh, the turnover worthy play percentage has gone up a little bit. It was 0.6% last year. It's 2.2% this year. But he's got a 7.7% big-time throw rate this year, which is really good, 17 of them so far. He has a 92 grade and 91 passing grade. Whew. It's looked good, too, by the way. He's got 22 touchdowns, three picks, 10.8 yards per attempt, 81.2% adjusted completion percentage. Like, he, he really is, he looks calm, cool, collected, executing an offense, going through progressions, not taking off until he has to. He's still still a really good runner, right? We know that about him. And I think, you know, against Auburn, just absolutely dialed, did throw a pick. Uh, it was an 89.1 grade, not his highest, but his second highest of the season after the Mississippi State game. Uh, his grade was fine. It was a 70.6 against uh, Florida State. Did have a pick in that one, but he has been really stellar since that game. So, Jaden Daniels, hats off to you. You're playing good ball. Mid-round QB with potential upside I think is a great spot for him right now, and, and we'll see if that can climb even higher as LSU has Bama on the schedule. Right, and if they find a way to 
squeeze their way into an SEC championship game, he can play against Georgia again. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see how Jaden Daniels keeps going because he keeps tearing it up week after week. So there you go, studs of the week. A lot of info in this one, a lot of rambling in this one, but it was exciting to get back on the mic for you guys. Uh, it should be two shows a week now. It's just been hard work and stuff, but, yeah, man, draft season's you just feel it getting closer, right? Because it's like the holiday season a little bit. Once the holiday season's here, it's kind of like, all right, the draft is rolling. We're talking a lot about a lot of guys and maybe such a little time. But it was great to see you guys. I hope you guys enjoy your Monday. Uh, once again, follow me on Twitter, at Draft. If you have prospect questions, find me there. Uh, I mean, if you're, follow- if you're on the YouTube channel, you can always comment on videos there or comment in the community posts. That's fine, too. Or you can go, obviously, to Patreon and Ryan's stuff if you want to contact me through him. That works, too. But, yeah, I'm excited to dive into some guys that you request, and and we'll kind of talk about them. But till then, we'll kind of keep going with the format of, like, talking about this a little bit. Maybe we'll do a mini mock next Monday. Well, Studs of the Week, I think, will be a a, a weekly thing now to the end of the college football season. But, yeah, plenty of of content coming uh, from the audio sense, so I'm excited about it. Uh, I will catch you guys on the Friday show. Enjoy your Monday.